Good afternoon, everyone. This is the podcast for the DOLW3, and we have been reading, uh, and we have with us as our guest in his writings, O.V. Cruz's book on the call of the lady. Uh, We believe that the time has come within the church for the laity to wake up, to speak up, to use their voices, and... um, to help us grow a more robust church. So we're going to start on page 39, and I'm going to read again the canon law from that page. All right, so canon law 208, flowing from their rebirth in Christ, there is a genuine equality of dignity and action among all the Christian faithful. Because of this equality, they all contribute each according to his or her condition and function to the building of the body of Christ. This is real important because within the hierarchy, within the ordained priest, within the bishops, there is a genuine equality even with the lay. Not so much in the jobs we do in the church, but a general human dignity equality that we all have with respect to one another, with respect to each other's souls. No one soul is better than the other. Okay, so that was from um, page 39. I just wanted to go over that law again and in, in the important aspects of that law. So, um, so we're talking of the genuine equality of dignity. Uh, we will be talking more about genuine equality of action. What do we mean by no superior or inferior roles in the church when considering human dignity and pursuant human action in the church. All contribute each according to his or her own condition and function to build up the body of Christ and building up the church and rebuilding of the church. That's the things we're going to be discussing today in this book. Okay, so we're beginning with part three. Dignity in Action on page 43. Here is the direct and signal subject of the genuine equality pointed out by law. This is a key legislation that needs to be repeatedly mentioned, accordingly understood, unconditionally accepted, and observed. Ignorance, indifference, if not a downright rejection of this normative provision has been the cause of a good amount of misunderstandings and even animosities among ecclesiastical communities. If this explicit and categorical canonical norm were continued to be ignored or denied, the ultimate result is discrimination among the criminal Christian faithful. And that's a key word here. I'm digressing, but the key word here is discrimination, and I think that's really what we're talking about within this um, idea, this concept of genuine equality. It can rightfully be said that what the law provides is both a dictate of human reason and an imperative of supernatural faith. The faithful are supposed and expected to love, serve, and respect one another as enjoined by sound human relations and mandated in a particular and special way by the gospel truth. Thus stands the validity and solidity of the law providing the norm of genuine equality of dignity and action among the Christian faithful. It is worth noting 
that when the Christian faithful baptized persons constituting the one and only people of God are canonically, canonically declared in tenure of genuine equality of dignity and action, what we have is a normative declaration whereby the natural and temporal order is mysteriously joined to the supernatural and eternal sphere. In other words, the law is much more profound and distinctive than it appears. The truth is that the legislation is a statement of reality in the order of nature entering the sphere of grace. Such is basically contrary to the spirit of the secular world, where there are now two contradictory common trends. Either men look at, look down at women as inferior creatures, which is called machismo, or women fight men to get their desired place in society, feminism. When a legislator enacts a normative provision, this can only mean any or all of the following. First, there is a necessity to do so on account of no of known violations of the right norm of conduct. Second, there is a felt need to resolve debates, doubts, and questions regarding a given serious issue. Third, there is a practical advantage in making a normative pronouncement in order to render something definitely clarified and pacified. Such is the close and continuous interaction among the Christian faithful, the laity, the religious, and the clergy, that the legislator made the deliberate option not only to explicate, but also to certify the right ecclesial relationship that should rule among them when interacting with one another. Now remember, what he's talking about here is um, it, it has to do with the, the legislator thought that this was, they you know talk and they debate and all this, how important it is to to have this law in there for um, the hierarchy so people don't run away with their power. So, so that we all, we give credit to, you know, to a disabled blind person, to someone who can't hear, to mentally ill, to homeless. All have souls. All are made in the image and likeness of God. Genuine equality of dignity this has manifest reference to the personhood of each and every Christian faithful. The equality of personal dignity is anchored no less than three foundations. First, their creation according to God's image. Second, their baptism that makes them heirs of the kingdom of the Father through Christ in the Holy Spirit. Third, their generic canonical status before the church with its pursuant juridical standing in the ecclesial community is thus evident that the equality of dignity among the Christian faithful is truly genuine. For example, real, due, and just. Genuine equality of action. This is the immediate consequence of the genuine equality of the Christian faithful as agents in and of the church, whereof they are all constituent members. In other words, the genuine equality of action flows from the genuine equality of dignity of the person agents themselves. The more practical application of this genuineness of the equality of dignity and of action among the Christian faithful has manifest relevance to their status of life and before the church in its strict sense, viz. their lay state. 
a vowed state and ordained state. As such, they have essentially different roles and functions, ministries and offices. This ecclesial, this essential difference, however, does not make their human dignity and pursuant human actions superior or inferior, one to everybody else or some to all others. The practical expression of this distinct truth of genuine equality of dignity and action among the Christian faithful is the fact that there are saints and sinners, victims and culprits, virtuous and vicious, individuals among the laity, the religious, and the clergy, as well, in the other words, as well, excuse me, in other words, one is not essentially better than the other, simply on account of a formal canonical standing in the church as lay people, religious men, and women, clerics. As already indicated, more than the canonical state of life, what really counts is how one particularly and concretely lives his or her life according to their canonical state of life, more than their mere ecclesial status. So I want to digress here. So um, what is important is that we, we live out the duties that Christ has called us to as disciples according to our status. It doesn't mean just because we're a layperson, we are spoon-fed from, from the uh, ambo and, and go out and just do nothing. We, have, we do have duties. When we see um, errant behaviors, we are to speak up. We're not to be silent. Um, and, and each thing that God calls us to, um, it, it's divinely inspired, and we need to pay attention to that. We need to pay attention to what the Lord is asking us to do. Our number four, among all the Christian faithful, the law provides that the moment one is a Christian faithful, he or she has and enjoys equality of dignity and of action with all other members of the ecclesial community, be they lay men or women, religious men or women, or ordained persons. Their distinction as such in no way makes their respective Christian dignity and consequent Christian action superior or inferior one to another. The word all is key in the law. The genuine equality of dignity and action applies to each and every member of the Christian faithful, constituents of the people of God, the parts of the mystical body of Christ. There is a distinction of canonical status, but their equality of dignity and of action stays. There is a difference in living their lives, but their equality of action remains. The more evident reasons for this divergence and sameness at the, at the same time are the following. First, all the Christian faithful have one essential mission, which is to spread the gospel in the word, world and to lead all people to the faith but each according to his or her vocation. Second, they are all enjoined and expected to participate actively in this mission, but each according to their particular condition and circumstance. Third, they are all children of the Father and heirs of his kingdom. All the Christian faithful have genuine equality of dignity. This specifically means that by reception of the sacraments of baptism, all of them receive the same fundamental call to the faith, to the mission to eternal salvation. In the observance of this vocation, 
All of them have the same basic rights and obligations with their pursuant likewise basic responsibility and consequent accountability. As rightfully said, there is no acceptance of preferential treatment of persons before God. Whereas everybody appears what he or she really is, everyone is given what he or she rightfully or justly deserves. So I'm going to digress here. So what do you think if you are called to, I'm going to give you my case, um, to go against something your priest is telling you to do, and in your mind and in your conscience, you know it's wrong. When we're talking about taking care of a vulnerable person that maybe cannot take care of themselves at that moment, you know, um, do we treat them? Do we send them to a hospital if they are sick? Or do we send them to jail? Do we give, does the church give them a choice? Should the first choice be jail? Or should the first choice be hospital? If they are acting um, uh, like there's something wrong. There's definitely something wrong. I'm talking about mental illness. I'm talking about schizophrenia. I'm talking about psychosis. If someone is having a meltdown, do you send a sick person to jail or do you send them to the hospital? And am I, as a person with a conscience, as a lay individual, do I have to seek special permission to go and say, no, this is wrong, Um, we need to take her to the hospital? If prayer is denied because that person did something the priest didn't like, and then you, you want to pray for that person. Should you be able to pray for that church in, it, person in your church at Mass, um, like other parishioners can be prayed for? Should you have that same right? Just think about that. This is what it's talking about, that, um, you know, we have, uh, there is no preferential treatment for any person. And um, that each person is given general, uh, genuine equality. And when you are called upon by God to, you feel like in your conscience that that's the only way you can go um, and you have to go against your priest, is that, um, is that a case of disobedience? I want you to think about that. All Christian faithful have genuine equality of action. This concretely means that as earlier indicated, this thus qualified action is necessarily appended to the genuine equality of dignity as the latter immediate and necessary consequence. When the baptized persons of Christ faithful are truly equal in dignity, it follows that their Christian actions are likewise essentially equal in nature. It is rather incongruous to say that the intrinsic equality of dignity of persons could bring about substantive inequality of their personal actions. So I'm digressing again. So does this mean that as a lay person talk, you know, ask, telling the priest I'm seeing something wrong here and I have a few ideas can I give you some suggestions because I think what you're doing is wrong and is against the Catholic teachings, is against my conscience. You're making me go against my conscience by sending her to jail. 
can I request that she be sent to the hospital? Can I request maybe that we get a group of people to work together um, to help with other people that may have mental illness um, and, and be prepared next time to do the right thing for this person? And should I, if I feel like I'm called by God to send this person to the hospital and to pray for her, um, am I right to, you know, go against what my priest is telling me to do, even if it means me being removed from the church? Thus, it is dissonant even to elementary reason that the genuine inequality of baptized persons would bring about genuine inequality of Christian actions. Their actions may be different in classification and merit, in intensity and effectivity, like other incidental factors, but, there are equal, but they are equal in nature, viz. acts made by agents who are all equally baptized persons, all equally taking Christian actions, substantially equal, equal in their persons. The Christian faithful also have substantially equal actions. In substance and nature, their persons and actions are equal. They may be different in fidelity, dedication, and sanctity, which are affin to their divergent conditions, convictions, situations, and other individual circumstance factors. Number five all contribute each according to his or her own condition and function to build up the body of Christ. It can be said in more simple and practical terms that building the body of Christ is done in any or all of the following ways. Again, all subject to the particular condition of every Christian faithful, each acting on it in his own, his or her own personal way. First, guiding, helping, and preparing parents for the immediate reception of the sacrament of baptism by their children. Second, leading, inspiring, and motivating adult people for their eventual reception of the sacrament of baptism after teaching them about the gospel truths. Catholic faith and morals, the origin, nature, and finality of the church. Third, serving, edifying, and sanctifying already baptized Catholics to grow in living the faith they profess and in observing their morals they subscribe to. To date, there is a well, there is as well the imperative of, re, of rebuilding the body of Christ. This particular mission is necessitated by some painful destruction of the church that has taken place and that is still ongoing on account of the following sad realities. First, the global secularism, materialism, hedonism, I guess you say hedonism, and individualism that has been progressively promoted by and from the West and that has been scattering many Catholics worldwide. Second, the multiplication and diversification of the so-called born-again Christians, most of whom come with the Catholic fold and many of whom have unfortunately became rapidly, become rapidly, oh, excuse me, become rabidly anti-Catholic in mentation, acu ac actuation, and locution. Third, the declarification of many priests who cause national and international scandals, alienating a good number of Catholics from the church, 
mostly out of danger and disgust. I want to speak briefly here. You know, we've been um, on the other podcast groups that are going on, uh, been reading from the right of sodomy, the homosexuality, and the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Ingle, uh, her 17-year effort um, to investigate how deeply ingrained the um, the homosexual crisis and um, sexual problems in the church, how deeply uh, intertwined it is in the church. And, um, you know, this effort um, has caused so many scandals and, and is and alienating a number of Catholics. Like he says, I think that uh, it's very important for us as lay people and as other priests, seminarians, there is a power structure that is in place that likes what they're doing. They like their power, and they try to get you by tactics. You're going to lose your job. You're going to, if you, if you uh, report me, um, you will be demoted. You will be removed. You will be outcasted. They don't tell you that. They just do it. And, 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 and in my own case, it wasn't, of course, uh, something as bad as a sexual, um, you know, I was reporting something uh, like a homosexual priest in the church. But what I was doing is reporting something that Pope Francis, our Pope, tells us, our Lord tells us. We are not to treat the vulnerable with disrespect. With, you know, we have to treat them with dignity. When you have a mentally ill person, you do not send them to jail. You do not send them with their own um, abilities in a psychosis state just back to the streets. Send them back to their, their home where they live where it's already, um, the person is already too far gone. No, you need to recognize that this person is very sick and we need to get them to the hospital. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the excuses that I heard was that they didn't know this person was mentally ill, but they had the audacity to tell me in a meeting that someone who was trying to help this person get a guardian, get um, safety, that that person might be ent- mentally ill. How can, you, how can you call one person mentally ill, or we suspect they're mentally ill, and then the other... Um, oh no, we didn't. We didn't even know this person was mentally ill. I just thought this uh, the du- duplicity in what they were doing almost was um, laughable. All right, we're going to go on here. Thus stands the urgency of both building and rebuilding the body of Christ, and this is a mission that is incumbent upon all the Christian faithful, the laity, the religious and the clergy as demanded and expected by their respective vocation and circumstances in life, it may be admitted that while the rebuilding of the body of Christ is already a big challenge, its rebuilding is a bigger one, a more formidable formidable one, formidable mission. This is especially true in countering secularism and in bringing sect members back to the Catholic fold. Secularism is like an ever-growing octopus whose sucking tentacles have reached and invaded the print media, the television companies, and the cinema industry. 
but much more than all of these, it has gotten a good grip on the information technology whose immense reach is already actual and whose potentials are fearsome. As to the born-again Christians, these are sectarian cells that keep on multiplying in practically all places, especially among unchurched people. By and large, there are fundamentalist, individualist, individualistic, and antagonistic. They are so unlike the mainland Protestant churches whose leadership and membership remain basically Christian. Thus, it is that to rebuild the church by neutralizing secularism and or bringing back the born-again Christians to the Catholic fold would require some technical and catechetical expertise, respectively. I'd like to digress here, too. Um, you know, in, in my incident that I had um, in the church and, and gone through, you know, really having to take a look at what God was asking me to do and to look at, you know, am I to be obedient to this priest or am I to be obedient to what God was asking me to do and what my conscience was telling me to do? Um, it is so important that we have spiritual direction, spiritual directors, um, and I think we have the saints. We have the gift of the saints. Thank God we have the saints um, to to look at uh, the things that they um, did in their lives for Christ, and oftentimes it meant it meant reform. It meant going against what was in the establishment. It, it meant losing your job. Um, St. Teresa, uh, Teresa of Avila, um, she was locked right out of her convent because she was pointing out evil that was going on. Um, I have even been locked out of the 24-hour perpetual adoration because of this incident. I think the real reason, I think the reason that probably got me locked out as I look over this is because there's a book in the Perpetual Adoration Chapel and I'm just assuming that this might be the reason that got me kicked out. I asked in that book for, the, for our pastor and for the staff to be prayed for, to pray for them. Because all this was going on, I was asking for prayer. People come into the Adoration Chapel, sit in front of Jesus, and we leave our prayers. I was very concerned about what was happening. And I ended up being locked out of going in to see Jesus. Jesus, my spouse. Jesus, who I love. Jesus, sitting in that 24-hour chapel, you know, for my hour that I would go and sit, meant so much to me. There was so much peace. And there's so much one-on-one -on -one, um, communion with Jesus when you sit in that adoration chapel. Okay, I'm going to move on here. It, it, to me, it reminded me of what St. Teresa went through when she was locked out of her convent. By way of a final note on the law concerned, one finds it rather questionable why the Latin original of munis is translated in official Spanish as officio, Bach 1985, and in common English as office, Canon Law Society of Great Britain and Ireland, 1983. An ecclesiastical office carries a defined and definite significance as provided by Canon 145 Pars 1 and 2 CIC, 
Let it be there then therein pointed out for clarity and certitude. The correct version of munis is not office, but function. Canon Law Society of America, 1985. This is applicable to all Christian faithful, viz. the laity, the religious, and the clergy, who are precisely canonically considered as genuinely equal, equal in the dignity and action. In principle and as a rule, ecclesiastical offices are still conferred to, conferred to clerics, with few intricate and demanding exceptions. We're going to go on to the chapter on conclusory observations. The following observations are well in order to emphasize the truly significant and distinct content and context of the law. A. The letter and spirit. The wording and inspiring formulation of the law demonstrate the fundamental and unconditional understanding of the legislator not only on who are the Christian faithful in the church, but also how the church considers and looks at all of them. To declare by way of a normative provision that the laity, the religious, and, and the laity share genuine equality of dignity and action is not only an unequivocal affirmation of their human nature as such, but also an absolute pronouncement on what the sacrament of baptism makes of them. In other words, the members of the Christian faithful are not only equal in persons as stipulated by the law of nature, but are also equal in dignity and action as far as the law of the church is concerned. This equality, which is genuine, is clearly about the intrinsic value of every human person and the inherent merit of every baptized individual. My little note I have here is we each have value and our work is very important, no matter what our state. Okay, Doctrine and Law, Part B. It is not enough for the church to teach human dignity and equality. She considers still pursuant to the dictates of reason and the pursuant norms of behavior to explicitly and formally commit this to a canonical provision. With that, church doctrine and canon law openly teach and explicitly provide respectively, it would be hard for anybody, any sector of society, or any institution in the world to reasonably claim that there is discrimination in the church between men and women. Those who still do and or say must have other causes in mind and other motives in their heart, other than the objective truth, as dictated by nature, as taught by the gospel, and as affirmed by the church." Very important line there. These things are taught, you know, that we are all created equal in the image of God. Principle and practice. The doctrine principle and the canonical provision are clear, candid, and categorical. What should follow is their imperative observance, not only among the laity, among the religious, or among the clergy, but also and especially so among all of them as constituent members of the Christian faithful as a whole. The truth of the matter is that any one of them who would dare consider himself or herself over and above the others in, the di others in dignity and action ultimately belittles himself or herself for narrow-mindedness and shameful pettiness. The principle and provision are categorical. They are certainly meant to become practical.
Remember the word principle means a fundamental truth and practice means actual application is what we're talking about here. So we're going to end on this page. Uh, we're ending on page 50 and when I come back we'll start on 51 and we'll have a new law to dissect. Uh, I would like to talk about a little bit about um, just a couple of sayings that uh, Mother Teresa, or not, I'm sorry, not Mother Teresa, although I love Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, just a short story for me, um, she was one that um, really taught me, because I never believed that I really had much to give. I just, I, you know, I do my little things at the church and stuff, and, and I wanted to to love more the people that I see on the streets, the people that just looked like they really needed somebody, like a homeless person or, you know, someone that just seemed down on their luck, um, especially in the community around Holy Redeemer Church. Um, it was, um, there's, there's a lot of poverty there, and I was just really drawn. And so I would pray to Mother Teresa, and I would say, ha, you know, how can I do anything? You know, and I had read her books, and the one thing that kept sticking in my mind is you start exactly where you're at and in that little circle that you're in, and you go out and you love one person. You love them in whatever way God calls you to love them. And that was a growing start for me. And then at our church, at Holy Redeemer, when they started the, um, the evangelization efforts, and um, when they started that, I was just so happy and so thrilled because when I went to the meetings, we were going to go out into the community and we were going to bring community people in. We started a community luncheon. We began to work with the homeless. And, um, and then it was all, all taken away. And it was all taken away because of the incident, at least this is what I was told um, in meetings, is because I was um, causing division and because we stood up for that person that was sick and needed help, and she got the help. She, she got so much help, and she's doing so much better. I am so proud of her and thankful that God had a hand in that and that she is doing so much better because of it. And it is just too bad that we couldn't have done it with the church working with us because that person is created in the image and likeness of God. That person deserves genuine, genuine equality. Genuine love, like Mother Teresa. People, she said, they can be hungry. You know, I found that out. A homeless person can be hungry. But what I see what they want with me is they want me to sit down and just chat with them, have a cup of coffee, have a sandwich. Sometimes we'll do scripture together, but they don't always want to do scripture. Sometimes they just want to talk. They want to talk about different things. And... Um, and it's that, I think it's that, that's the gift that Mother Teresa was talking about. People are dying for human touch, human love, to be loved and not looked down upon. Um, people that, you know, all of us need it. And maybe even more in the Western states because we all go so fast and we have our technology and we run, you know, to all these different things with our kids. And, you know, sometimes I think you just lose sight of how important that little thing is. You know, that little note that gets left on your desk. Um, just little things that can touch you. So she really inspired me. And then St. Teresa of Avila, I've been reading her life 
the life and story of uh, of uh, Saint Teresa of Avila, and I'm I'm looking into um, spiritual the spiritual teachings and and why I'm why you know what makes a soul want to direct itself more to God and to get closer to God. Um, one of the things I think is is we know we want to go to heaven, and how do we get there? How do we become more holy? You know. Um, is everyone going to be a saint? Probably not. There's probably so many saints that aren't even accounted for that just do their little things every day and love God through them. So St. Teresa says some things that I just just love as you're progressing and, and wanting to get closer to God through detaching from things in this life and, and, and um, just getting close to God in things that love the neighbor, you know, things you do that can love your neighbor and grow your neighbor and maybe even help their soul um, on its ride to heaven. They see something in you, so on their walk to heaven. St. Teresa said, Blessed is he who loves him in truth and has him always at her side. And I think that's so important. Throughout our days, we need to always, always look at God being present to us, present to us, um, and, and reminding, remind, hey, hey, Lord, you're here in this with me. You know, walk with me into this spot and, you know, you know guide me, Holy Spirit, and how I'm going to talk to this person. Always acknowledging, always giving thanks, um, always knowing that he is right by our side. I love St. Teresa of Avila because... She talks in terms that I can understand. They're just simple. She is explaining profound prayer, profound getting close to God and detaching from so many of the things in this world and, and, and attaching yourself to things of God. And the other thing she says that I like, and this, this helps me a lot in, in, in my journey, is joys of the soul comes in little sips. Now, isn't that the truth? You know, um, one day with the Lord, you can just feel like, you know, you're, you're giving so much and, and you're seeing things come back. And, and then other days, you can just be, I mean, like you're 100 miles away from God. And everything turns into a calamity, a disaster, and you feel like just sitting down and crying. You know, and that's the way. That is the way. But we don't just... My spiritual director told me we don't just, um, we don't focus on our successes and our failures. We don't focus on them. What do we focus on? We focus on God. And that, you know, if we look at Jesus and we look at him, his whole mission from the time he started his mission, proclaiming the word, you know, getting baptized, from that point on, you know, he knew he was going to his death. He and you know, he had he had people along the way that became his friends and just wanted to hear everything. And then when he went to the cross, they left him. You know, people spit on him. The Pharisees uh discounted him, made him into the most evil person. He gave up all, everything of his of his, of his human desires for God. And, and so I think what, what's important with my, what my spiritual director has told me is that 
you know, don't go into this thing looking, you know, you, you're looking for God. You're looking to get closer to God. You're looking to um, sacrifice yourself for the love of God. You know, giving up little things to help others, um, to get closer to God, to suffer for something good, something better. And um, and I think in this case, you know, what some of us have been I have felt been felt called to do is to start this podcast and to to help souls that maybe are confused and don't understand, you know, the sufferings that can come with um, breaking the silence. But the sufferings, the sufferings are there. But then there's just so many good opportunities that open up to love, to love God all the more to love neighbors, the joy in, in doing godly things that are just little things, little acts of love. So with that, um, I'm going to read one last thing here, and this is from 1 Corinthians 10.16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ. Amen to that. Okay, um, I'm going to end with a prayer here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespassed against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. God bless you all. God bless this podcast, and I pray with the Holy Spirit that it touches anyone and everyone that it is meant to touch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bye-bye for now.